Our scripture reading will come to us from John chapter 13, the gospel according to John chapter 13, and we'll read the first 17 verses. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This far the reading of the Holy Scriptures. And we'll consider this, this whole passage your congregation, the Lord Jesus loves his own, and he loves them to the end. And with that, he promises to be with them to the end, and to uphold them, and to bring them to where he is in glory. And now, before, right before he'd be crucified, he also wants to assure his disciples of this reality, and to impress upon their hearts that He loves them with that eternal and unchangeable love. Because He knew that soon their hearts would be so filled, filled with doubts and, and, and fears and confusion when He would be taken from them, when He would be condemned, and when He would be crucified and put to death. And then it would seem that all these promises that Christ had made would, would come to nothing. And He knew how they would feel. And He said, he quoted Zechariah 3, verse 7. He said, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. 
And so these disciples would be scattered like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. And so these disciples had so much to learn yet about the Christian life, a life that would include suffering and trials and confusion and loneliness and contradiction. As he would say in a few chapters later, chapter 16, verse 2, that the time is coming that even whoever kills you will think that he offers God uh, service. But more importantly, the disciples needed to learn as, long as, as well as we do the reality that through that all, through all that suffering and trials and confusions, the Lord Jesus loves His own to the end, that He will never leave them nor forsake them. And that even though we can become fearful and despondent when we don't understand what is happening, when we don't understand what is happening in our life or in this world as the disciples would have in front of them, and we can see and think that evil is, is prevailing, and then we can still be assured that God is and always will be with us, and that all things are working out according to His purpose. It's one of the lessons that the Lord Jesus here would teach His disciples, and, and so our theme here is simply Christ washes His disciples' feet. And Christ washes His disciples' feet. And in the first place, we'll consider this in a humble expression of love. He washes their feet in a humble expression of His love. Because He said in verse 1, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And then it says, after the supper was ended in verse 4, Jesus stands up, he lays, he lays aside his outer garments, and he takes a towel and he wraps it around him like an apron, and he grabs his basin of water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, why does he do that? Well, in those days, you have to understand that they wore mostly sandals. It was hot and dry and dusty climate, and when they were, would walk to different places, their feet would they become very dirty, and so it was custom there that they would have a slave at the door or a servant who would wash the feet of the guests as they entered the house. And from Luke 22, we know that the Lord Jesus had told the disciples to prepare this upper room, this guest room, where they would have this supper. And so most likely they or the owner would have had some water ready, if even for that very purpose. But when they arrived, we don't hear of a servant. There's no one there to wash the disciples' feet or the Lord Jesus' feet. We also read in Luke 22, verse 24, that at this very supper, they argued who would be the greatest. And it might even have been with this very thing in mind. I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm going to be the greater one in the kingdom of God. No one wanted to do the job of a servant. That would be too humiliating even for a fisherman. And so you can think of these, these disciples maybe looking at each other, wondering, well, who, who's going to wash our feet? And so they, they seem to all here to eat with dirty feet. No one washed their feet. But here, to their amazement, the Lord Jesus Himself, their Master, stands up and prepares Himself with a towel and a water. And so with this, the Lord Jesus is demonstrating the depths of His love for His people. 
and that he loved his own who were in the world, it says he loved them to the end. Just as we read that God demonstrated his love for us and that he sent his only begotten Son into this world, descending from the heights of heaven to the depths of this sin-cursed world. And so here the Lord Jesus Christ, He shows His love not only by touching the lepers and healing the sick and and raising the dead and and, and speaking liberty to the captives, but by stooping down here to His very disciples, to the the depths of, of, uh, to show that He would stoop to the depths of their very sin, to wash them from their sin, from what has separated them from God. Because He's showing here these are His precious people given to him from eternity by the Father. And these are the ones that Jesus kept while he was on this earth. These are the ones who he had prayed for in John 17. He loved them to the end. And now that end was near. And now also he knew the greatest test was coming for these disciples. Soon they would all flee as sheep without a shepherd. Their hearts would be filled with fears and doubts. Was Jesus then truly the Messiah that he said he claimed to be? Or are we mistaken? Those disciples walking to the, to, on the road to Emmaus would say, we had hoped that He was going to redeem Israel, but now confusion and doubts. These are the ones He loved. And these are the ones He has come to redeem. These are the ones who He has prepared a place for in heaven. And He needs to reassure them of His undying love. And knowing that His hour was come, and knowing that before they could enjoy that comfort, the Lord Jesus had to finish this work, this work that His Father had sent Him to do, this work that His disciples could not follow Him to. He said in John 13, verse 36, that He needed to prepare them. Yeah, He said in verse 36 that His disciples could not follow them there. And he would need to reassure them that his love would remain, though for a moment they would not be able to see it. And isn't it so that in those dark moments of our lives that we think God has forsaken us? When we can't see what God is doing, it's at those times that we think that God has left us. And that's what the disciples would feel like. But Jesus here is showing that he is willingly humbling Himself for them so that we can know that He will always be there for us. Because here Jesus would know, He knew that His his own disciple would betray Him. He knew that Peter also would deny Him. He knew that they all would forsake Him. He'd be left alone. He, he, he knew that the agony that he would have to face in Gethsemane soon, when, where he would be pressed down like, like a grape in the wine press of God's wrath, against sin. He knew that soon he would be accused and face a condemnation, though he was innocent to be condemned to death on the cross, where he would have to taste death for every man. He knew that this was the hour where his eternal love would be demonstrated the most, and yet they could see it the least. This was the hour that he came for, he says in John 12, verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. And this is where His people will be secured forever. And this is where He will purchase their salvation with the price of His own blood. 
And this is the hour where He would reconcile them to His Father forever. And Jesus, the eternal Son of God, knowing, verse 3, that He had come from God and that He was going to God, would now humble Himself in such a deep way before the people He came to save. And knowing all this, He stands up from the table and wraps Himself in that towel, displaying His love for them. And He begins to wash their feet. Such a display of the depths of His love that though He did not consider it robbery to be called equal with God, he, he humbled Himself, took upon Him the form of a servant here, literally acting as a servant, and humbled Himself. Though He was the Master, put on the apron of a slave. And this would be the last act that He would perform to His friends before He would descend deeper into that darkness where they could not follow Him, that deeper steps of humiliation where He'd be given over completely to the will of His enemies. And isn't it so when we examine our own hearts that we don't want to stoop down to wash someone else's feet or to do menial tasks that would humble us. But Jesus here, He washes their feet because He is showing them that He will go even further, even deeper. He would lay aside everything, His honor, His reputation, His life. In His humanity, Jesus would even lose that communion with His own Father in heaven. On the cross, Jesus would feel that true separation from the love of God. Here is the one who created human beings with the greatest honor on this world, but He Himself would become as a worm and no man. He would lay down His majesty and glory to become the most insignificant creature on this world of His own creation. So He rose from supper, laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. It's a humble expression, isn't it, of His love, and that there is no sacrifice too great to save His people. He loved them to the end so that you never need to be separated from the love of God forever. The humble expression of His love. And secondly, it's a symbolic expression that would teach His disciples what that love entailed, what it includes, what it means. A symbolic expression of love. The washing their feet represented a spiritual cleansing, not just an outward physical cleansing. And with this humble act, Jesus would demonstrate what He has come to do on this earth, to cleanse His people from their sins, and not just once, but their whole life long, perfectly and forever. And to understand the significance of washing, we, we need to go back to the tabernacle in the wilderness. There's many types shown in the, wild, in, the, in the tabernacle. Here, we, you think of the laver, the large basin of water that was set in the court between the altar of burnt sacrifice and the door of the tabernacle. 
And in Exodus 30, verse 19 and 20, the priests were told to, to wash their hands and their feet at that laver every time before they entered into the service of the tabernacle, or else they'd be punished by death. That even though they were the priests of God, they would, could not approach the service of God without washing their feet every time again at this specific water pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the Lord Jesus began to wash His disciples' feet. And these disciples must have looked at Him in amazement and said, what are you doing? And that's exactly what Peter said in verse 6. And He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? He says, he seems, this, this doesn't seem right. His master washing his feet when he himself would not stoop down to wash his his other disciples' feet, or even his own, probably. But he knew he was too proud to do it. But then Jesus answered and said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you'll know after this. He's basically saying, Peter, you need to submit to the wisdom of God. You do not yet understand the significance. And when when the Lord Jesus comes to him, in verse 8, Peter emphatically says, and, and it, it, if you literally translate it, you could say this, no, you will not ever wash my feet. It's almost like he's rebuking Christ and saying, you will not ever wash my feet. Here he's responding. That, so, it, as Peter is, is known to do, but it, it's a self-righteous, it's a, it's a self-justifying way. No, you're my master. You cannot stoop to this level to wash my feet like a servant. And so he tries to prevent Jesus from humbling himself, but he is really contradicting the very work of Christ. And so Jesus has to tell him in verse 8 and said, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. It means if we're not washed from our sins by Christ, and then we are not partakers of his salvation, we have no share in Christ and do not belong to the kingdom of Christ. And whatever Peter understood of that, he suddenly now responds in the opposite way. He says, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. But again, Jesus has to say, you still don't understand. In verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. If you are washed already, he says, you need only to wash your feet now. And what Jesus means is this. In those days, they didn't have showers or bathrooms in the house like we do now, but they'd go to the river or to a big basin and they'd wash. But then they'd have to walk home. But before they got home, before they entered the house, you have to wash your feet again. But only their feet. And again, if you look back at Exodus 29, to the priest in a tabernacle, before they were ordained as priests, there was a ceremonial washing. They had to go to the river or a place of water, and they had to wash completely from head to toe. But after they were priests, and when they had to enter the service of that day, they only had to wash their feet and their hands to do their daily work. So they, it speaks of an initial washing. And here Jesus says, He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet. So he's speaking of an initial washing. By the Holy Spirit that is required, it's called the washing of regeneration in Titus 3. 
that initial washing, that initial forgiveness of our sins takes place by, by grace through faith, where the dead are made alive in Christ, where you're united to Christ, where you're spiritually washed, freed, and delivered from the power of sin, where you're accounted righteous before God, justified before God. There you become the possession of Christ, being bought by His own blood. Then you're partakers with Christ and have a share in in all His benefits. And that's what Jesus is saying here to the disciples. You are all clean. You're washed. You're justified in the sight of God, except one, except Judas. He had not been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. He had not been forgiven for his sins. He was not saved. And so Jesus is saying we need to be saved. We need to be born again. We need to be regenerated. Because if we are not, we can look like a Judas among the disciples in the church and yet be unsaved. Yet know nothing of the original forgiveness of sin. And before Jesus finishes His work by shedding His own blood on the cross, He gives them this symbolic lesson so that they would understand why it was necessary for Christ to descend to those humiliating depths. And that it was His love that brought Him there to the cross. And they needed to realize that it was through Him, through His suffering, through His death alone that we can be saved and forgiven. And so it is for each one of us we have to come to that place to realize that we must receive Christ for every, from Christ everything for our salvation. Because we are so self-righteous, so self-sufficient. And we, without using the very words, say, Christ, we will not allow you to wash my feet. That seems below me. We can still carry on in our own strength. We'll just try a little better today. We'll just do make ourselves look a little better. We'll just carry on in our self-righteous acts. We'll make our way to heaven. But no, you're not stooping to wash my sin. But we have to realize that unless Christ goes to those depths for us, we must ourselves descend into the depths of hell and eternal separation from the love of God ourselves. We must come to the point where we as filthy beggars can do nothing but freely receive the washing of Christ for everything. With empty, sin-stained hands and heart and feet covered with the mire of sin and shame of this world. And yes, it's it's humbling to acknowledge our poverty, to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our inability to acknowledge our unwillingness to be saved in this way only in Christ and to acknowledge that we have nothing to add. Not a prayer, not a word, not a deed, but it is through Christ alone. It is through faith alone. It is through grace alone. And unless Christ saves us altogether, we are not saved at all. But then, and this speaks further, and Jesus is saying, once you are saved, once by faith you have fallen on the rock of Jesus Christ for all your salvation, you do not need to do that twice. 
Once saved, always saved. Once bathed, now you only need to wash your feet. And that's because all of God's people still have remaining and indwelling sin in their heart. We need our sins washed daily. We need to be, as, as some Puritans put it, to keep a short account with God, to confess our sins daily to God, to have them removed, washed, and cleansed from our life. This is the life of sanctification, the daily renewing of our lives through the Holy Spirit. Just like the priests could not go to the tabernacle, never approach God without washing their hands in the water. Our daily access to God is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the cleansing blood of Christ every day. We need Him every day. And if we've never seen the need for a daily cleansing because of our remaining sins, then we need to ask if we have ever experienced the initial washing from our sin. If our, daily wash, if our daily sins do not bother us, and then have our sins ever driven us to the Lord Jesus Christ at all? But he says, once you have been saved, when daily you see that your sins well up inside of you, he says we can and we must come to Christ freely every day again to confess our sins. As 1 John 1 verse 9 says, that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to, to, cleanse, to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Christ here, He demonstrates His love here because He knows how prone we are to sin. That every day our hands will be stained with new sin. Every day our consciences can be wounded, wounded by, by the things that we do wrong, but we think and we can fear that now we have sinned too much. Now God will never hear us anymore. Now God will just leave me and forsake me. But he says, no, come again and again and again. And Peter would need this reminder to direct him back to Christ for that renewal, renewed spiritual washing to find that forgiveness after he denied his master three times. But he could look and he could see those heart-piercing eyes of love and compassion looking straight at him, inviting him to come and to find that forgiveness. He needed to understand that Christ is the willing Savior to whom you can always go. And with this, Christ assures us that with him there is forgiveness. Daily we must come to wash our hands and our feet to to and to remind you of His eternal love and His full forgiveness for sin. But often we can be like Peter, and we do not flee to Christ in repentance and faith daily, but we let these little sins linger in our life, or we, or we fight Him in our own strength. And then we're saying, no, you don't need to wash me this time. That's beneath me. We're too proud to admit that we cannot save ourselves or even overcome one sin or one sinful thought ourselves. But we need to come. We need to come for this cleansing, for this washing daily, daily, daily again to Christ. And in doing so, He prepares you for another day of service, being washed, being clean, cleansed, being reassured of His love and His grace for you 
enabling you to go on another day. And that's what we consider in the last place. Jesus demonstrates what Christian services to look like as well. And the third thought is in a model expression of love. A model expression of love. Christ demonstrates His love with a visible lesson to comfort them, but He also washed your feet as a model of how we must love one another. In verse 12, He says, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your teacher, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We've been considering, been considering Christ as our high priest. We've also heard that when Christ saves a sinner, he says he makes them his priests, his royal priesthood. God makes you into priests by washing away your sin and your guilt and clothing you with the righteousness of Christ so that by his grace you're able to serve him. And if Christ so humbled himself to lay down his heavenly glory and shed his own blood for us, then he also makes us willing to follow his example. And he teaches us that we are called to serve in that same humility and love. Those disciples used to fight who would be the greatest, and so do we. They're too proud to serve each other, and so are we. But Peter writes, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. All Peter learned were from his Savior. And Christ stooped so much lower than we ever can. He stooped to depths that we never can and to pay for the sins of, of our hearts. And what can humble us more than seeing how deep Jesus humbled himself to wash sinners like you and me and that he would love us to the end is there then anything too humbling to do for others in his service? Well, we must not be ashamed to do what Christ was not ashamed to do. We know that we do not have to stoop down as low as God did to reach others. Because we find ourselves in the very depths of sin just like everybody around us. Serve with humility and love following the example of Christ but also, secondly, trust and patience. We must humbly trust in God's will and purpose in our lives and to wait on the Lord with all patience. And like Peter, we are called to submit to God, to His wisdom, when we don't understand what is happening. We must have patience in our own circumstances, whatever we're facing in our own life. And we have to have patience with one another. Christ was so patient with his own disciples when they didn't understand. And he shows his patience when he says, come to me daily, come to me daily. And the scriptures tell us 
so much of what will happen in this world, of how much fear and troubles there will be, of the disasters and, and diseases. Second Thessalonians 2 says there will be a great apostasy, a great falling away in this world. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 11 says there will be strong delusions that people will believe blatant lies but are so blinded to it. We hear all these things, and yet, how much do we really understand? We hear of the attacks on, on Christians, on school shootings. We hear of whatever other troubles there are. And this is where we need to learn the same lesson that the disciples received, that the love of God surpasses our understanding, that Christ demonstrated His love, His eternal love for His people, and in was showing this, he shows that his, his love will never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because his work is a finished work. He, his salvation is a complete salvation. His sanctification that day to day until glory. And we have daily access to that. And we can be daily assured of his love for us and his care for us. And no matter what is happening, no matter what circumstances we face in our life. And that enables us to continue with that trust and patience and serving with humility and love, following the example of our Savior, living in the love of our Savior. Amen.